Uh, can I just get a minimum chips, please? Hello and welcome to Minimum Chips, a podcast putting the nom 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 back in economics. It's the world of money as seen through the eyes of a comedian and a real-life economist. Oh, did I mention we're brothers too? So there'll be fights. Welcome once again to another episode of Minimum Chips. Uh, joining me as always is Chief Economist at Integrity Economics, Thomas Kiley. Welcome, Thomas. G'day, everyone. I am your host, his brother, Adam. Today we're talking money. Where does it come from? How does the government have so much of it? And what does it mean going forward if the government can seemingly pull money out of its hat on a whim? Thomas, what happened to the budget emergency we were supposed to be having? Yeah, Tony Abbott fixed it. (laughs) (laughs) I fixed it. I'm a fixer. Wasn't that Christopher Pine that said that? Oh, that was Christopher Pine. Yeah, he fixed it too. I think they all fixed it. They They got together... And they fixed it. Because that was, the, that was the story going into the last election, wasn't it? They said, we're in deficit, we need to get back in the black. Who was it? Was it Dr. Zoidberg or whatever his name was that said? <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? The yeah. treasurer guy. Frydenberg. What did he say? He said something like back in black yeah. and back on track. Back and... in black, that's right. Yeah, I mean, the, the coalition's been running with this for a while. I think Abbott introduced the term budget emergency in 2014 when he was in opposition. And since then, they've been hammering that, talking about Labor's debt and so on. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a funny sort of pitch at the time. You know, given that Australia's debt levels, you know, in international comparison, weren't very high, our growth rates were quite good. So, if we were having a budget budget emergency, there were about two hundred other countries that were having a budget crisis. But it's good soundbite politics. People sort of got it. People started attaching budgets to labour, to proliferate spending, irresponsible money management. We can all relate. Be plenty of households around having a budget mm. emergency, particularly at the moment. We, we've mm. we've been having a budget emergency in my house for going on fifteen years now, so um, <laughs> definitely relatable topic. Time to change economic <laughs> managers, Adam. <laughs> um, but the big, well, I guess the big question is: Do, do deficits yeah. even matter? Like, why why is it so important for us mm. to get out of out of the red and into the black? Yeah, it's a it's a good point in the sense that. You know that that's often pushed on us that that we should think about the, the the economy. We should think about the government. Sorry, in particular, the way we think about a household. And a household can't live beyond its means. Therefore, a government shouldn't live beyond its means either. But there's some big differences that make that metaphor break down. And probably the biggest is that the government has the ability to print money. Handy, very handy. I doubt we would be in the budget <laughs> yeah. emergency in our household if we had the government's ability to print money. <laughs> Um, I did. I did try printing money once, but the lady, the really? lady at the local food land, was having none of it. Um, oh. In hindsight, should have used a colour printer. But you know, you live and you learn. <laughs> Something for Australia, for the South Australian yeah. listeners. <laughs> so, is that what the government's doing now? They're just printing money. Uh, yes and no. It gets a, It's a little bit tricky. The government is still going into debt, but they're not printing money very the, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zoidberg got a bit confused. Printing money was supposed um, to get them out of debt, wasn't it? Well, the, the thing is that they're going into debt. So they've, they've issued $65 billion worth of government bonds since the COVID crisis started. Right. But if you look at who's buying those bonds, $15 billion has been bought by the private sector, so private investors. Yep. The remaining 50, so the, the lion's share, has been bought by the Reserve Bank of Australia. So the Reserve Bank is effectively bankrolling the government spending. Right. But if you think about what that means, the Reserve Bank 
So the, the government owes money to the Reserve Bank and the government pays interest to the Reserve Bank. But the Reserve Bank is part of the government. And if yeah, the, the government owns the Reserve Bank, don't they? That's right. So if the government, if the Reserve Bank turns a profit, and it's not there to turn a profit, but it sometimes does because it's <laughs> playing in the money Whoops. markets. <laughs> Whoops. Pocket that. Yeah, don't you hate that when you're just trying to play in the money market and you accidentally turn a profit? But if they turn a profit, yeah. they hand that money back to the government. So the government effectively pays interest to the Reserve Bank. The Reserve Bank makes a profit and pays the profit back to the government. Right. So the government's paying interest to itself. Yeah. If that makes Not sense. Not really. Carry on. Not really. Well, this is this is the thing. So it's why you can have a huge government deficit that no one's really worried about because effectively what you're saying is the government just owes money to itself. Right. Where it, where it becomes money printing is what the Reserve Bank decides to do with the bonds. So the Reserve Bank has the capacity to sell them into the private sector. Yeah. So that 50 billion that it's bought, it can over the next 10 years or whatever, start selling some of that back into the private sector, at which point the government owes money to the private sector. But if the, if the Reserve Bank doesn't do that, if it just sits on it, then nothing happens. The government doesn't have any it debt. It sounds a lot like money's coming out of nowhere, though. Like It's exactly like that. This sounds like the government got, like, essentially together with itself. They had a big, they, mm. had, they grabbed, a, you know, a few cartons, you know, maybe a couple of spliffs, and they sat around and they thought, what are we going to do about this budget emergency? And then someone, probably Zoidberg, said... <laughs> What if we just borrow money from ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone Genius. went, "Yeah, it's got to come unstuck. It yeah. has to, doesn't it? This can't be. This can't be a serious thing." Well, I mean, this this is interesting. So this is where we get into what's called modern monetary theory oh, yeah. and MMT. Right. So this is the this is the new economic paradigm that's emerging. At the moment, like as we speak, we're we're in we're in the middle of a paradigm shift in the way we think about economics, right. and in the old monetary theory, the vintage small batch monetary <laughs> theory we had before, the idea was that money printing like this, because it really it is coming out of nowhere. The Reserve Bank is just pressing buttons on a keyboard, giving itself money, and then buying government debt with that. So money. they're not just they're not actually printing money. They're not like dollar bills coming out like well, they're not, no, not no. arriving at the Reserve Bank in a big truck. <laughs> Some no. more money from the government to to ourselves, <laughs> to ourselves. Yeah, right. Love Zoidberg. <laughs> Um, no, that's right. It's just coming out of nowhere. It's just digital, just pressing buttons on a computer. Right. Um, now, in, in vintage small batch monetary theory, the idea was that that kind of money printing um, creates inflation and has the potential to create hyperinflation. And so you have you know these images of 1920s, 30s Germany, Venezuela, where people are, are having to buy grocery with you know wheelbarrows full of money because the prices are just increasing so quickly that something's worth $100 in the morning and it's worth $10,000 at the end of the day. That happened recently, like recent yeah, times, yeah, yeah. I reckon Zimbabwe or one of those nations that, yeah, the same thing sort of happened, didn't it? Where a, loaf, a loaf of bread is like a million dollars. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Inflation of prices is the same thing as the currency becoming worthless. Right. And the idea was that if you just start printing money, you just start pumping money in, into the economy money starts to become worthless because it's just become super abundant yep. and prices of everything go up in relation to that. 
And that, so that was the old way of thinking. Mm. But then we had the GFC. And what happened after the GFC is that interest rates, the US Fed cut rates as low as they could go, but still needed to do more. And then entered into what they called quantitative easing, which is really just money printing. <laughs> and they just this is the second this money. is the second name in ten minutes I've heard for money printing. <laughs> that's not money printing. First, there's there's modern monetary theory. What's that? Oh, that's money mm. printing. Oh yeah. And then there was this thing called quantitative easing. Well, what's that? Well, that's more money printing. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of brand management. What's the difference between modern monetary theory and quantitative easing in a nutshell? It's not kind of the right way to think about it. The quantitative easing is modern monetary theory in practice, effectively. But anyway, so what happened was that in the G after the GFC, quantitative easing, the, the US Fed's just pumping money into the economy and everyone's like, whoa, that's going to create inflation. That's, you know, that's, that's what the theory tells us. And it just didn't happen, that we didn't see any inflation in consumer prices. And if anything, inflation actually kept falling and, you know, was below the Fed's target throughout the, the 2010s. Why did it not cause inflation? Did they know why? Great question. Thank you. This, 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 this is the key insight from modern monetary theory. So modern monetary theory says that money printing can create inflation, but it doesn't always. What it needs to create inflation is capacity constraints in sectors of the economy. So if you think about how that works, so if you give everyone $10,000, they go out and buy stuff. Stimulus. You know? So stimulus, yeah. So, so, so imagine you give everyone, everyone every Australian $100,000 to go out and buy a car. Yep. Nice car. N yeah. <laughs> well, this is just middle of the range where I live. <laughs> Okay, so you imagine what happens is that suddenly everyone's got $100,000 to spend on a car. The prices of cars go through the roof because now there's a shortage of cars. Mm. There's only so many cars that are, that are in the market um, and the price of cars explodes. Right. And so you get inflation. And so that's, that's an example of a sector that is capacity constrained because you can't just turn on a car factory and just start pumping out more and more cars. Yeah. But if you um, did it for like sort of consumer goods or, you know, cheap electronics from China or something like that, where there is large um, production capacity ready to be engaged and ready to go, mm. then all that demand that you've created with the money you've printed, that's able to be met by supply. And so that's what we saw. The money printing was happening at the same time as massive production capacity was coming online in China and, and Asia. And so we didn't see inflation in consumer goods because there was surplus capacity in that sector of the economy. We were able to produce enough to meet the demand that money printing had created. And so that's that's sort of the that's the insight of modern monetary theory, saying like it can create inflation. Printing money and giving everyone money can create inflation, but only if the economy is capacity constrained, only if it can't expand its production to meet the demand. So does does it is is anywhere affected by inflation then? If if everyone's printing money, nothing's there's no inflation anywhere. This sounds like forgive me, this sounds too good to be true. And if I've learned anything over the years, is it it's if something's too good to be true, then it probably is. So not to the inflation just pff, gone. 
what we're what we're learning, and this is this is it's a massive experiment being run in real time. No one knows what's happening. We're seeing it unfold before well, our a, eyes. That's a comforting thought, isn't it, everyone? Zoidberg's <laughs> at the helm. We're going in the deep space. This doesn't sound like an acid trip at all. <laughs> what modern modern monetary theory says is that inflation is going to show up in sectors of the economy that are capacity constrained, and one of those sectors is asset markets. So there are only so many financial products on offer. Right. Assets, oh, like financial assets. Like, yeah, financial like assets, my, like shares, bonds. Not like your car, no, no. <laughs> you probably haven't seen inflation in your car price. In I don't know, I haven't had valued for a while. So, yeah, so what we have seen is massive inflation in asset prices. So the, the US stock market tripled between 2009 and 2019. And that's because all that money was pumped into the financial sector. There was only so many stocks and bonds and whatever on offer. Mm. And so it bid the price of them up. And we also saw that money flow through into real estate. And real estate's the classic capacity constrained sector because you just can't make more land. Land is, the amount of land is, you know, effectively fixed. And so we saw massive, you know, inflation and property prices as well. Is that what pushed Sydney and Melbourne up? Was, is that a result of this? The, the money printing hadn't started yet. Was that still a flow on from the GFC and the response to the GFC? Uh, no, it's definitely, yeah, you definitely the money printing we saw, the easy money in the world. It wasn't just the US. It was most of the developed world was in, in the quantitative easing mode. Did we print money in Australia yeah. in response to the GFC? No, no. But we have now. We are, we're doing oh, that cool. now. So we've joined we've joined the quantitative easing party. Excellent. So so we're all okay with that then. If that pushes the price of the share market up, pushes the price of those financial assets up, then everyone wins. Time to buy shares. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Look at the share what the share market's doing now. It's it's booming on the worst economic data ever. You know, like on a lot of measures, it's the worst economic data we've ever seen. Yeah. And share prices are at all time highs. So we're okay with that. We, we're not. This is not a bubble. Well, I think that's what we all want to know. Is this inflation, as you call it? <laughs> is this? <laughs> is it a big, big old bubble that's going to burst at some point and come crashing down on everyone? Who knows? Who knows? We. I mean, we. Yeah, we. We don't really know how this ends. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a big experiment, but we know that on the way mm. that a government policy that inflates asset prices is very popular with people who own assets oh really who happen to be contributors to political parties so it's a little bit you know it's it's a massive experiment but the people who run the show aren't at risk and they stand to gain a huge one percent yeah are okay again yeah they've come through <laughs> oh good i was really pulling for that <laughs> that small percentage of society who were down to their the forgotten one who were down to their last billion yeah, right. So, well, all this money printing going on, is that what's paying for all the things that the government's buying? But the government's still going into debt, though, right? So so now we're in this place where the government's got all this money, they're printing all the money, they're still mm-hmm. going into debt. Going into debt with themselves. Uh, like, it's a little bit of a misnomer. Like me going into debt with my wife. Yeah, yeah, effectively. Yeah. I was borrowing, you know, borrowing money off her and she says, I'll pay you back. And if she doesn't, it doesn't matter because it's kind of our money anyway. Yeah, 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 exactly <laughs> like that. Exactly like that. But, but that your wife has the capacity to print money as well. So you're borrowing money off your wife and she's just in the back room printing it up. <laughs> yeah, and so, and so the, and this is where it gets interesting, yeah. right? So now the kids are coming to you and going, I want an ice cream. You, don't, you can't say, I don't have any money anymore. Yeah. Because they say, well, just 
borrow some off mum and get her and get mum to print some more. Right. So we're going into debt with ourselves, and that's what's paying all of the the spending. That's what's paying for all the spending in the, in response to COVID. So job keeper, job seeker, um, bailouts of whatever yeah. Qantas, the whole kit caboodle. Virgin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no money for Virgin. Sorry, Virgin. <laughs> we can print. We can print money. You're just mm. not worth that much to us. And no one ever has to pay it back. Potentially not. Potentially well, why not. Why don't we just print more money than we would ever need and buy all the things? Why don't we print money for why don't we print money for hospitals and print money for for schools and print money for frontline workers in yeah. the COVID response and give them a, an extra few bucks or what I don't know. Like print money for, dare I say, no, noble causes. Think about the 1%, Adam. <laughs> You're forgetting the 1% again. The 1% matter too. No, I mean, but this is, this is exactly right. This is, this is exactly the question that it's the axis that politics is going to spin on over the next five years. Because, you know, the, the idea that we don't have money for stuff has just been blown out of the water. We just came up with, you know, a couple of hundred billion mm overnight that we and and no one batted an eye no one's like oh this is a problem everyone's like yeah okay sure go for it you know so and it's not clear that we have to pay it back there are there are there are equity considerations like it does in to me when i look at it it's increasing inequality and that's a huge problem Mm. but the people running the show aren't so worried about that they don't seem to be worried about that they're not trying to balance quantitative easing money printing with equitable progressive taxation systems or measures to try and to make it make it equitable they're happy to let asset markets run and boom it seems yeah yeah it's it's, if there is money for stuff if there's money for a covid emergency why isn't there money for a housing emergency why isn't there money for a health emergency why isn't there money for a climate emergency so how does the government then justify it this week i don't know when you're listening to this podcast but this week they're gonna uh whatever they call it some some nice word for getting rid of the free childcare uh, subsidy. Mm-hmm. So why don't they keep that going? Why don't they just make free childcare forever for everyone? Just print money. P- print money and give it to the childcare operators. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. Like what, what, do, what do we start measuring these things against? What, what do we decide what's worth spending money on and what's not? But we don't have to. Like, so printing money is like saying there's the pit is bottomless. Ice cream's for everyone to use the... The kids coming asking for ice cream mm. like if mm. the pit's bottomless truly bottomless though they can print as much as they mm. want yeah i mean there are going to be consequences somewhere right we don't fully understand what they are yet and it also you start messing with market functioning you know like there are private childcare providers what does it mean if you know the government's just paying for everything yeah typically you know the argument goes that that's going to create inefficiencies in the way that it's run if the government's if the public sector is running stuff. <laughs> That's a bit rich coming from the government. I don't know if you've spent a lot of time in government departments, but <laughs> hardly the, the height of efficiencies. Well, no, that's that's the point. That's the point. Like if if you just if you're just fully funding childcare centres, yeah. what's what incentive do they have to be efficient? But and that's but that's that's the the argument that's been running the you know the the pivot from public provision of services to private provision of services over the last twenty or thirty years yeah. is that you know the private sector does it better. But but this but it's all but it's all changing and it, and it's like now that there is all this money that we can come up with this money. We're happy to we're happy to run with it in some circumstances, but not others. Then it becomes a political question about well, when are we willing to do mm. it, and what consequences are we willing to wear for it? Given that we don't know what the consequences are fully yet, 
we haven't fully explored that. Like it sounds to me like we could just get to a point where the government could, in theory, just pay for everything for everyone. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was really expecting the socialist revolution to involve more cannons. And yeah, it's like kings hanging from street posts and stuff. But it's been it's quite quiet. It been, and... yeah, it's just, just Zoidberg <laughs> up on the platform going, "Yeah, we got heaps of money now." <laughs> <laughs> the big question though, I want to know is how do I make money off it? Yeah. We should we should really talk about this. Maybe maybe in the next episode we can we can look at the share market and what what it means for the share market. All right. In terms of yeah potential plays, you know, I would expect it. It really depends on where the money's going to flow. Mm. But I would expect big infrastructure spending from the government is going to be a no brainer. Yeah, it's going to be pretty popular. It's high job creation kind of spending. I'd expect stuff like that. So any sort of peripherals around, you know, major roadways, yeah, companies in, in, in that high-end construction kind of things or toll road operators, stuff like that, that may, maybe they're going to benefit if you, if you can sort of watch where the where the spending's going. Are we going to get stimulus packages out of it? Will they go that, will they print money for stimulus? I mean, they are, right? You know, you had the $25,000 home builder <laughs> grant so rich people could yeah. extend the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could have built social housing, but now let's give the weirdly specific twenty five the weirdly specific twenty five thousand dollar home builders grant. <laughs> you couldn't you can't use it to build a shed unless you put a toilet in that shed and call it an outhouse. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like stimulus stimulus packages. But, but where, where does it end? Like where does where the economy stops being, you know, the way we thought about thought about it in the past as being, you know, largely driven by the private sector, you know, potentially just the government runs everything at the end of this. Mm. Is that what they want? Does the government want that? Well, typically, you know, your right-wing governments aren't a big fans of that. They want the private sector to to run as much of the economy as possible. That's typically how how they've positioned themselves. Mm. But that's been that's in the context of not having any money and and the political calculus goes out the window because you know, what happens to vote buying now? What happens at the next election when each party realises that there's this bottomless pit of money that they can tap, that no one cares about budget deficits anymore? Yeah. It's just, a, it's going to be, could potentially be a free-for-all. It's just money flying around everywhere. And the, the idea of like responsible money management that the coalition's been banging on about for the past forever suddenly doesn't make as much sense. It, people are, it's not going to have the same kind of resonance when every country in the world is just printing money and giving it away. What happens if every country in the world starts printing money, then everything stays the same? Like if one country starts printing money, does that affect their currency against everyone else's? So does everyone have to start printing money? Not really, not really. It's not, that's not such an interesting question. Okay. We'll let it out not there. Nice <laughs> <laughs> but what, what, one, of the key, one of the key things is that to, to do this kind of money printing in the modern monetary theory framework is you need to be issuing debts in your own currency. So if you're issuing debts in foreign, country, foreign currencies, like a lot of like developing countries issue debts in US dollars, like people say, I'm only willing to lend to you if you repay me in US dollars. Yeah. But if you start printing money and that trashes your currency because there's now more of your money around, but your debts are in another currency like a US dollar, then that can get you in real trouble because your currency is devaluing against your the US dollar and your debts are getting more and more expensive effectively. Yeah, exactly. Because if we start printing money, so we print two for one, you know, twice as much as we normally would, mm. 
then all of a sudden, whatever the exchange mm. rate is now is for, with the US dollars, what is it, 0. 0.6 something? Presumably that then goes down to like 0. 0.3 or something? No, it doesn't really work like that. I mean, we saw that in the GFC that everyone expected it to trash the US dollar, the money printing that followed the GFC, and it didn't. You know, the US dollar hovered around kind of its long run average more or less over the whole decade right. that followed. So it's not, it's the, the relationship between money printing and the currency is not clear. Well, good to know. So just to wrap up, uh, we are experimenting with the economy. We are, no one knows where it's going to head. Everything is unclear. And don't worry because Dr. Zoidberg's in control. That's pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> is that a fair summary of, of the That's episode? That's the central message. Yeah, we can we can sleep well tonight. <laughs> oh, it's like a warm blanket just <laughs> wrapping us with its confusing and uncertain love. All right, well, that, that does us for this week. Thanks again for joining us uh, on Minimum Chips. You can always ask us any questions you like. Probably ask questions of Tom, I'm guessing, more so than myself. Get us on Facebook at Minimum Chips Podcast, and we look forward to company again next time. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial or investment decisions and do your own research.